Welcome to episode 378 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 378 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? Pretty good, Bevan. Pretty good. Why's that? Um, I know why. Why? We just recorded an hour and a half of Simon Nessing. We did. So check it out, legendsoftriathlon.com. It will be out now because I'll actually release it before I release this show today. So we are a little bit late since month, but it's worth waiting for because Simon Nessing is arguably one of the top three triathletes of all time. I would be. I think it's fair to say he's the greatest male short course athlete ever. Yes, we did have a debate on that, but yes, yeah, yes, I agree. Yeah. Kind of, maybe. Mm-hmm. I'm talking proudly brought to you by coffeesofwire.com. Get your tasty morsels in the morning, at night, and, and just before you go to bed at night, it's great to ruin your sleep. Athlinks.com. <laughs> Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. Trainingpeaks.com. The place to show you why you're great or and not so great. SLSTry.com. Great gear for triathletes. Hey okay, guys, in this week's show, what have we got happening here? We've got to pull, I've got two different show notes here because I've got Simon's ones up here as well. So wait, that's, 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 okay, that's Legends, okay. So this week's show, we've got some news. We've got an, we've actually got two age groupers a week because I've sneakily sucked. I'll not. just do one. We'll, I'll, I'll defer the other one to okay, this week. Okay, so we've got one age group of the week. We've got a website of the week. And we've got an, an interview, John. Actually, I don't think we have got a website of the week. Okay, I well, I'm, I think I'm pulling your egg. Uh, we have an interview with Joe McQuillan, and he's going to be double teaming it with uh, who's Bevan. Joe, who's Joe McQuillan? Joe McQuillan is a sports physiologist. Um, I think that's his correct title with uh, High Performance Sport New Zealand. I think he's still with High Performance Sport New Zealand, but he's also at the um, AUT, which is Auckland University in Technology. He used to be the sports physiologist for Triathlon New Zealand, um, got a strong interest in cycling. And uh, we're going to talk a bit about high fat, low carb um, options. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, we're opening that, that little beast here again. We haven't opened that can of worms much. It's sort of metabolic efficiency and things like that. It's going to be great. It's going to be quite lengthy. So the rest of the show will be pushing through. Okay, questions and answers at the end there as well. Okay, John, well, we had a few races on. Now, we got a, we got a bit of bad feedback last week, didn't we, John? Did Pe- we? Well, well, I did. People were quite upset that we didn't we didn't go over every race that was covered when we were away. And oh, some people wow. were a little bit disappointed we didn't cover the race they did, and we're sorry about that, but there were literally 10,000 races on. Yeah. And we just and couldn't we never do exaggerate. <laughs> so, <laughs> nice. Yeah. But the big race that happened last weekend was the World 70.3 Championships, and they were held in Las Vegas, weren't they? Henderson, Las Vegas. Wow. So tell me about the race, John. Well, it was, uh, on the guy's side of things, it was pretty similar to last year because Sebastian Kinglay basically did a demolition job like he did last year. Who he did it on was was a slightly different makeup last year. It was uh, Craig Alexander and Bevan Doherty taking out second and third. This year, similar sort of thing. He just rode through, put three or four minutes into them on the on the bike and then backed that up with a fantastic run split. So, I mean, he often is regarded as this axe on the bike, which he is, but, man, he can run. So he took it out in 3.54 from Terenzo Botzoni. So Terenzo's back on form now, isn't he? He's definitely this in a big way. Yeah, he's back. 
Mm. Great. And, and like he only ran, Trenzo, you know, only ran a minute, uh, about a minute 20 quicker than Sebastian Keenlay. So he went out there and crushed on the bike. And in saying and that, Trenzo like, was the fastest runner yeah, by yeah. about a minute 30. Like, the, you know, no one else got in that 30 minute range who was like realistically going to be in the podium. Mm. So, so no one did. So I'm not saying taking anything away from Trenzo. I'm saying that Sebastian Keenlay had a fantastic run split as well. So, you know, he's had, a, I think he must have he's had some injuries and stuff this season because he hasn't been on his A game in terms of uh, the races that were. We've seen him at, but he looks like he's back at his best at the right time of the year, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, if he doesn't get a puncher in kind of like he did last year, what he can do because um, he could be a, a, a real threat in kind of. Can I ask who were you surprised didn't do that well? Um, well, I don't know what happened to Craig Alexander, but he was way down in uh, 20th place, but he rode a 2.23, so I assume he had some bike issues because we know that he's uh, strong on the bike, so I assume he must have got a puncher or had some, some issues. Where did he finish? He's like 37th. 37th. So, uh, yeah, that's a surprise. Greg, Bren- Greg Bennett only ran a 123 for 406. Um, Bevan Doherty DNF'd. Uh, what happened there? He, just, uh, he, was, he was there or thereabouts coming off the bike and um, just didn't have it on the run. The other DNF there who was uh, actually sitting in second place off the the bike or onto the run was uh, Jan Fredino who apparently took off like he was running on hot coals. So, yeah, you know, um, in a 70.3 these days, you've got to just, you've got to roll the dice. You can't sit around and wait too much and, and it looks like a number of guys did roll the dice and, and um and and blew up. So Joe Gambles comes in through third. Brent McMahon was like way down in twenty eighth place and early in the season, like he was uh, he was on fire. So yeah, Joe Gamble's third. But Arnott, that guy's pretty bloody consistent in fourth place. And uh no, sorry, I'm looking too far down no, the Potts, field. Potts. And Andy Potts was fourth and uh Tim Reed, great race for him in fourth place. That our interview ringing up, is it? Yep. Oh, we're going to go off and do an interview three minutes early, Joe and uh, Bevan. Yeah. Three minutes early. We're going to finish this section and come back to you. Yeah, well, they can wait. They're, they're early. He'll hear this too because they know we're being rude to them now. Yeah, exactly. You, you're three minutes early. You can wait. <laughs> um, so it looked like great racing. I'll type to him and say we'll be here in three minutes. Yeah. Which is, yeah. And uh, so it, it looked like interesting conditions. It sounded like it was uh, pretty rainy there on the bike, and then uh, the rain cleared a bit, and then it apparently it was an absolute sauna on the run course. So I kind of, I don't know, I kind of think in a way that uh, it's, you know, Vegas was just starting to build up a bit of, uh, bit of, bit of history, and, uh, and now it's sort of moving away. It is risky, I think, running. Was it really building history? I think so. I mean, how often did you talk about, oh, Vegas, you know, it's not well, like a Kona. A lot more than you did. Uh, oh, oh well, got Florida clear, was clear horrible. Order. Yeah, so, so I thought it was starting So where's it next year? It's in Montremblanc. And is it, now it's rotating. And that's not the... No, we got in trouble with that one, didn't we? Not the American Championships no. up there. It was the, you, it was the... Some people get really angry at us, John. It was the North American Ironman Champs up there, so I apologise to everybody who I upset last week when I some said it was the were, American like, Champs. Some people were upset, John. I know. I get angry emails. I, I protect you from them, John. Yeah, I keep I them away. Yeah. It wasn't... It was the North American, which means Canadian. Is that what, is that what they were saying? Yeah, it was the North American Champions, and I, and I think I referred to it as the US, US Pro Championship. Which I did interpret it that way, because I was quite surprised Bell won that big race. So what is the US now? I don't think they have a US. Because well, I it was New York. I think that was North American Champs as well, though. So well, well, that's kind of what we were implying, wasn't it? No, we were implying it was the US Championships, and it was North American Championships. So, okay, so it's just that it's a broader, broader range. It's just a big race. These championship <laughs> things are just... There's too many champs, John. Yeah. yeah. You have two. Kona, 70.3. In Melbourne. Yeah, in Germany. Melbourne. Germany. <laughs> and, buggy North Americans. And, and, and. <laughs> um, on the girls' side of things, it was a, a 
Demolition by Melissa, Demo- Melissa Holstein. Woman. Um, you know, she is a sensational runner. <coughs> um, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, she comes from a run background. I saw a picture of her on the on the run, and she just looked sensational. Really, I, I thought her run split would actually be quicker than what it was um, relative to the others because she has absolutely crushed people on the past. Kate Morrison ran the same time. Mm. But um, yeah, she comes from running back man, but now she's just crushing them on the bike. You know, she rode through the field. She's not a, not the strongest of swimmers, but not terrible. Uh, so she's losing four minutes there. So this is Melissa Holshite to the likes of Annabelle Luxford, or well, three, three and a half minutes, and then uh, comes through, crushes them on the bike. And when you when you're arguably the best runner in the field, it's um, job done. So she won by five minutes, and she also had a bike crash. And uh, she doesn't sound like the most stable person on her bike. She had a bike crash in Auckland. <laughs> And she's had a couple of other bike crashes, but yeah, you know, obviously new to cycling. She comes from a running background, but um, how, how, how are we feeling about Leander Cavely heading into Kona? You know, this time oh, last year terrible. she won this race. You know, and you know she, she's obviously had some major issues. You know, she's down there, and uh, I don't know if I like this like new, new new tracking system. It doesn't tell me where she ranks in the girls. She was 181st overall, but you know, last 13th. year she she was crushing it. Um, and I think yeah, she's just had either sickness or injury. I'm not quite sure. Mm. So Heather, Heather Jackson came through late in the run to take uh, second place from Annabelle Luxford. And yeah, good to see Kat Morrison um, back in the game in fourth place. Close racing, uh, sounded like a sprint finish with uh, Svenja Bazin. Yep, that's right. And I guess when you asked about the guy side of things, who was uh, the ones that perhaps didn't perform quite as well, Daniela Reef uh, would have possibly, she, she was next in sixth place, would have expected her to do a little bit better. And uh, likewise with Lisa Norton, but I think she's been battling a little bit with uh, some injuries because I know she pulled out of the high V race the, the week before. So um, yeah, good, 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 strong fields. Good to see. What's the prize money? Uh, it is 200,000 total, I think. I think it's... I think, yeah, I think it's 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 fair. Challenge is though, it only pays ten deep. It's like Kona. If you know Callum Millwood, Kiwi guy, um, who we had featured on the show yep. a few weeks ago, he had a great race, finished twelfth place. Nothing. Yeah, that hurts. That does hurt. Come look at yeah, the I, mean, I, I know you've got to be you've got to be good enough to be in it, but this, this pay twenty. Yeah, World champ. Yeah, like High V last week paid thirty deep. Um, ITU side of things, I think they pay maybe fifteen, but then you've got the series. You know, you finish in the top. High V's WTC as well, wasn't it? It is, yeah, but yeah. but that doesn't. It's a history, I know, but yeah, still. It mean okay, we've been more than three minutes now. Now we're being rude. We would better go get the boys. <laughs> we'll, we'll be back in a second. Anyway, that was pretty much. We're it. back. We're back. We're back. We're recording. We're recording. We're just on seventy point three. Now we're going to talk about doing another race that happened last weekend, and that was a race called Challenge Henley. Challenge Henley. What happened, Jonbo? John Jonbo needs to be home in half an hour. He does. Yeah. We've done the interview already, and it's a long interview. It's about an hour long. Yep. So. so yeah, Tom Lowe back in the winner's circle, eight hours thirty nineteen, taking it out from Stephen Bayless. He pretty much uh, crushed it, really. Six minute victory, ran away from it on the final run. Joel Jamison was in third uh, in eight forty nine, and then fourth place. A guy who, who he's been around for donkey's years. He used to come out here when I was a junior. Tuka Mietinen from Finland went nine oh nine. So nice work. He's still around. And on the guys' side of things. On the great, guys or on, even on, the girls. On the girls. On the girls' side of things, great to see somebody go out on top. We, we often see people fading away and, and then just sort of disappearing. But um, it's awesome to be able to go out on top. And Bella Bayless has gone out on top. What do you mean gone out? She retired? She's retired. That's it. Her last race? Yep. Oh, yep. cool. So she's That's gone a way to top. do it. Yeah. And I always think about, like, with my fitness career, like, with group fitness, you know, like, you know, it's a very short lifespan. I always think, you know, I'm kind of getting to the last part of my career. When's the moment to stop? Mm. You know, it'd be nice to kind of, like, obviously I'm not racing my career, but, be, you know, to be an athlete, to go, this is my last race, mm. to win it, 
and go crush it. But then you win it, and you go maybe I don't have one. No, I think she's uh, probably going to settle into motherdom now. I'd imagine. Uh-huh. Well, she's already already there. So Balabatis took it out nine forty one from Yvette Grice um, for twenty four minutes, and then good old Kiwi Julia Grant in third place in ten fifteen. Where uh, I Man Wales happened, and Scott Neidy took it out. He did, and again, um, apparently he's. Uh, I'm not sure if he's a full time worker, but he's um, not, certainly not a full time pro anymore. And he took it out. Um, it just looks like such an awesome course. And I saw the. The woman's winner, um, I think it was the Gossinator, uh, Lucy Gossage, took it out and said it was the most spectacular race that she's done. And, and I certainly picked that up when I saw the video footage of it. It looks, looks awesome. Really good, tough day at the office. But Scott Nietzsche swam 47, rode 511, and ran a 302 and a 909. And a pretty from, tough course, too, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. Marek uh, Jaskolka from Poland was in second place, and uh, he actually spent. It was last summer or the summer before out training here in Christchurch. And uh, Michael Golner, good, well-performing German in third place. And the girls? The girls, uh, Lucy Gossage, I think, uh, crushed it. Uh, she did, 9.51, 56 swim, 5.30 on the bike, 3.15 run. And she beat Ragula Roback from Switzerland, 10.18. And then Katja Konstrach from Germany in 10.24. What a lot of races. I'm in Wisconsin. I mean, Wisconsin, we're Mark just Twisett rolling through out. them. Mark Tweese. We need to, you need to be home soon. I know, I know. I'm going to rush. Uh, Daniel, uh, he took it out, 52 swim, 434 on the bike, 306 around, 840 from Daniel Brister, um, 846, Elliot Holtham in third and 850. And the girls? Girls. Goodness, we are cranking this. Yeah. We are cranking it. Look, I don't ja- want to get you in trouble. Jackie Arndt took it out in 947. From Beth Shute and uh, Michaela Homo. So, oh, good close racing there between less than a minute, just over a minute covering third, fourth, third, fourth. So okay, like, and then we also had the ITU long course duathlon champions. So, we're talking about duathlon. Oh, well, yeah, I didn't realize we we're going to flag it. Was, flag it. No, no, we'll give uh, Rob Walsh and blah, 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 blah. Um, from Belgium <laughs> That's how he says it. Six and this is uh, Zoffingen which we talked about a little while ago so I want to give Zoffingen a bit of love because it's the world long distance champs he took it out and then Eva Nordstrom from Sweden took out the girls race okay John but the challenge for their first US race this it's, is it's gonna, finally happening it's going to be interesting they TBC what's that to be confirmed. Oh. <laughs> so, I thought it was like some kind of brand. No, uh, so they haven't actually said where the race is going to be, but it's going to be in next June, and they haven't said whether it's iron or, or, or half distance. Okay, here's what I think. Iron, half, and teams. Just, just my prediction. Uh, but they've got a guy called Robert Vigo Vigorito, who's um, the USA 2013 mm. Triathlon Lifetime Achievement Award winner for a significant contribution to triathlon. So they've got obviously got a, a really good key person in place, and now it's just a case of getting the races sorted. So it's going to be interesting times. We got a bit of feedback around um, Canada. People loved it. Canada and, and people really liked it. It was it was a smaller race, not as big as usual, um, but the, the feedback for the most part was that um, yeah they, they actually liked it. And, they, and, they and also the f- interesting feedback was there was definitely a, a different change in culture. Mm. Which was better, more of a family feel. Mm. So people, mm. yeah. Um, coming up this weekend, tell you what, we had an interesting email. I know we're trying to push through, but yeah. somebody sent through an email saying, "I'm in South Africa. You are allowed to take a family member down the finish shoot, but it's got to be on your shoulders." Yeah, well, you have to carry them at least. Yeah, 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 yeah. John, yeah. I was thinking about the shoot one actually. We're we talking about this in this week's discussion. What's that? No, what's this week's discussion? Uh, should there be a time frame? No, no. Okay, so I was thinking about time shoot the other day, and I was thinking, why is it? Why is it such a problem? And I think one of the biggest problems we have with the finishing shoot is it's too narrow. Because I was thinking, you know, you think of, you know, like sure, you're saying last week. Well, if we think about for us, 
well, for back in the day, I'd finish around, you know, nine to nine and a half hours. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd get the finish line pretty much to myself, you know. Whereas if you're in that kind of 10, well, probably 11 or 10.30 to about 13 hour mark, it's just a constant stream of people. I watched a little bit of the Vegas finish yesterday and it was like people were separated by two metres. Yeah. But then you think, well, what about New York Marathon? Mm-hmm. And they they got what fifty thousand people doing the race, mm. and it, you know it's a different you know they make it work, and I th- I, I, oh, I thought maybe a solution that we could have to this problem is why don't we have a wider finishing shoot like a much wider finishing shoot that would then have if you want your family you got in this, you could almost kind of lane it out a little bit, and that way you could have you know going for a mm-hmm. time you could have almost like three lanes and it could be the individual want to bring your family. I get what you're saying, and I've I've experienced both sides of um, things. Like I I remember at Auckland Marathon, uh, I think it was big wide finishing shoot. You're on a road, and and they do have. I think they did have two finishing shoots, maybe a marathon and a half marathon. Maybe it was something like that. Yeah. But you lose a lot of atmosphere when it's really wide in terms of being able to high five the crowd and, and know, having but, them in your face. But that's the compromise you got to make, isn't it? It is. You know, because you can't. We either go, you don't let your family come on, but I, I I would love to have our sport to be able to bring your kid across the line. Mm. You know, and especially because. Because it's the big day for the kids. They wait around all day for dad. And, you know, like if, mm. if you want to take your kid across that line, if there's a sacrifice that it makes it a little bit wider. Well, what about for all the people that don't have kids and they want to just go down there just to have a really nice intimate, have the crowd in your face? And um, Well, you could still one to one like side of the lane, have yeah. the crowd next to you. I'm leaning towards WTC's way. What? And don't anyone come up the finish line? Mm. You're a hard ass. Yeah, I am. I, I mean, think- I like it when they do it. Yeah. I, I can just definitely see both sides of the arguments, but anyway. I think wider shoot's the way to go. That's the solution. I, I, Coming up this weekend. Coming up this weekend, um, there's no WTC races. The only race between now and Kona is uh, the new race in Lake Tahoe, so no more Ironman races. We've got the ITU short course world champs finale, which uh, should be uh, a cracker with um, the Brownleys going against Gomez. Um, you know, chance the Brownleys will take it out, but Gomez has been on pretty hot form, but man, he races a lot. Girls race should be interesting. You never know who the hell is going to win the girls race at the moment. So except, well, I'd, I'd imagine on this one, um, Gwen Jorgensen's going to crush him because it's a flat bike ride. So it's going to be a bit of procession, which leads me on to, um, we, we talk about this a lot, but the, the Olympic distance race is starting to get too boring when it's a flat course and uh, they need to change John. it. You're just a broken record. There's nothing new here. No, but I've been watching the America's Cup the last couple of days. Oh, how good is that? <laughs> That, I mean, the America's Cup has been a joke up until this point. But now it's but amazing, it's isn't it? 20 to 30 minutes racing. I'm watching the whole thing. You know, I'm, I've been You could sacrifice 20 minutes a day for that? I, I did. I sit there, have my breakfast, and then I have my lunch, watch the first race with my breakfast, watch the second race with my it's, lunch. Uh, I, like, America's Cup's only, I think, a New Zealand thing right now, because even mm. in San Francisco, not many people are watching it. No. But it's... it's and I don't even know if people overseas can get it. But it's 25 minutes, close racing. You don't know what's going to happen. There's lead changes. Oh, it's very exciting. You imagine. Are you nervous when you're watching it? Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. like on the edge of my seat. Yeah. It's, but, you know, imagine if we I'm had. I'm gutted sh- it's not on today. Yeah. Short course triathlons, 20, 30 minutes on TV. I'd be sitting there and I'd watch every minute. Olympic distance these days. Fast forward, fast forward, fast forward, watch a bit of the run. And that's how it is. But I think if we go down this path of 20, 30 minute races, it's going to be. Awesome. What, what, what format do you do 20 minutes? You do a 200 metre swim, 8k bike, 2k run. That, that changes be... everything, but doesn't it? I still think the Brownies would win. You think? Probably. No, I don't think. No, you get some kind of like some 1500 metre runner. It'll take a little while to evolve and then you get some changes. But at the moment, if, you, know, put, if, you, if you chuck the whole same field in, it's obviously going to be a lot closer. That'd be. Have you, read, have you read that Sports Gene book? No. Oh, it's a very good book. I would recommend it. It's very good. Check it out. Anyway, um, I don't know. I think that, that if you go on 20 minutes, you you could attract an athlete who's you know, ten hundred ten thousand five thousand meter runner. Mm. You know, 
I know we need some it changes. Is a different sport. We need just we need to revolutionise it. Have some drafting. Have non-drafting. Have time trials. Have okay, we have enough time on that subject. Yeah. <laughs> what else we got coming up? Uh, so this weekend coming up, one that was uh, interesting for me is the horseman. So you finished really, that. You're, right, you, you're a horse. Uh, <laughs> Lots of guys are doing it racing. It's, hope <laughs> it's in the Dartmoor National Park in the UK. Another. Uh, race in the UK looks really cool really challenging course first year they've had it um, so good luck to anybody that's doing that one you've got the Iron Basque in France you've got the Bear Lake Brawl in Lake Town Utah United States and another challenge race with uh, Challenge Almera which is I think probably probably the second oldest race in Europe behind Rote Okay, um, that's a very good discussion of the week last week John was wondering oh, Extreme Endurance Oh, and a sponsor Yes Okay, ex-sponsor. endurance. Go for it, John. Now, I'm going to get Sandy. Actually, I think I might have had We've been talking fast because we're trying to get through, through the show fast. I've got to slow down because okay. people don't understand when we talk fast. I've actually, in my emails right here, I think, uh, yes, I think I'm getting an email back from Sandy from Extreme Endurance. I want to discuss the um, the new Hydro X product because I've had a little container that's turned up with a bunch of Extreme Endurance that I'm selling in New Zealand now. haven't tried it yet, and I won't be trying it until... Um, my racing sort of over summer so it'll be hard to get a gauge of, of really what it's all about so if you want to check out that that they've got hydro x now what's what's the, is, what's the promise which is um my, my conundrum bevan is i want to take extreme endurance in the race but i'm not good with tablets and i, I know, know if i take it uh, just be a problem. I'll, I'll probably throw up i'll probably get gag and oh does it really do that for you no, in, a, in a race yeah. like normally I, I even struggle normally just taking tablets but um but in a race setting, um, can you I'm open the sure. tablet and put in not fluid? With extreme endurance? You can't. No, no, it's a solid tablet. Um, oh, that's true. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm trying to think of how I can do it, whether I crush it up or, or what I do, and I want to find out if this Hydro X is the business. But all their products so far have been fantastic. Any Kiwis, if you want to get some extreme endurance, I'm going to start stocking it in, in small amounts now. It's a little bit cheaper um, than getting it for, direct from the States, so I'm trying to figure out ways to, to make it work a bit better. And the other product that um, I've been getting some really good feedback on is the um, Immune Boost. So if you have been battling away with colds and flus and things like that, um, getting some really good feedback around the endurance boost. So check it out. Remember, use the code IAMTALK and you get five bucks off your uh, off your order. And the other piece of feedback I get around extreme endurance is they're always very helpful in terms of if you just email them, they'll get back to you and um, any questions you've got around anything and uh, they, they look after you. So check it out, xendurance.com. Xendurance, get on it, team. Okay, discussion of the week. Last week, John was wondering, should there be a time frame around the legacy program for... Ironman, and I haven't actually read the things, but I think you're well wrong on this one. So let's have a look at what people said. Yeah, so um, so the so a lot of people, uh, no, but pretty much, I would say ninety percent of people said no, no time frame. They they're happy with um, the way thing the way things are, and as it reads at the moment, this is how the legacy program works. And at second year, the Ironman legacy program will grant a hundred loyal Ironman athletes an opportunity to compete in Kona at least once in their lifetime. Uh, so there's a hundred slots. To be eligible for selection, this is this is quite important. This part, athletes must completed a minimum of twelve Ironman distances. We yep. knew that, but um, and have started the Ironman and have not started the Ironman World Championships. We knew that, um, but they must have completed at least one full distance Ironman in both 2011 and 2012. And you must be registered for a race in 2013. So you have to be a very current athlete. And oh, you have to have done do. the last two years plus you've got to do next year. So, that's so it's a three year commitment to get to it. Yes. Wow. And, and, and what happens if you don't get this year? So then you have to do the next year to guarantee it. 
I guess you probably would, yeah. yeah. So it's really focusing on that. So this is, that's explaining what the legacy program um, really And So John was. basically came to us last week and he said, I think the thing you don't like is the people who are trying to pop out 12 in two years yep. to get into it. And he was kind of saying, well, what do you guys think? And Should there be a time frame? And, and pretty much... There was a couple of people that said no. Um, somebody said uh, said 13 years. We'll try to pull that up in a second. Uh, John Ellis piped in there. Now that he's actually listened to the show, I think that if you do the 12 laces in under five years, you should have to pass on the pass the Ironman history set, a test set by set by John Newsom to make sure the slots are not going to passionate athletes, uh, going to passionate athletes, and not just tosses with money and time. I like Tommy X one. He's got maybe Bev should be in charge of the discussion of the week. Um, and Ul- <laughs> he just ignores Ul- it. Ulrich uh, is giving you flaming you totally <laughs> off topic. Ulrich Flume is, he he does flame man. He's got Flume as his surname and he flames and he's saying there's plenty of toilets in New York. Well, no, because someone sent through an email about Central Park saying there's no toilets and it's quite he poos there every day. He says Central Park has at least ten toilets. Yeah, well, how big is Central Park? I don't know. And if you're a tourist, there's no signs telling you where the bloody parks, the toilets are. Rick Lard, <laughs> Rick Rick Lard, no Rick Laird. I called him Rick Lard once and it didn't go down very well. Oh, really? Rick Laird. You're being, you're being uh, annoying, are you? I, um, you're good I, at that. <laughs> I, I also say there should be no time frame. For an athlete who completes an Ironman in 13 hours, 12 races would mean 156 hours of racing. If they complete that over four years um, or 14, I think they should deserve to get into Kona via the program. And let's not forget, they've paid around 7,200 in race entries and likely double that on training equipment, fuels, etc., etc. Mike Halovich, Halovich, I would say, he's, he's the one who poos in Central Park every day. He goes every day. Mm-hmm. And he's like, we, we, there's hardly any public toilets, so mm-hmm. there aren't. Dave Manley, I think perhaps there should be a limit on a minimum, maximum of two to three a year counting. Not sure you should be able to do six a year and just cruise cruise them and then qualify in just two years because you're wealthy. Okay, I'll read out one more because I don't really read any. Um, I'm going to go... Um, um, Oliver Grasser, and he's going to say, agreed, no time frame. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Annette Lee wrote a big book, um, and Annette, I'm not going to read that one out because we're, we're pushing on time. If you want to read what everybody's... There's lots um, of good discussion. John, yeah. I totally disagree. Well, I don't know if you, so, if so, you were so that concrete let, with let, it. Let me lay this scenario to you. So, nah, so nah. say somebody's done uh, three years, they've done four a year for three years. Does that, do you think they should get... Totally. It? You've crossed the line 12 times. Like, you know, like the whole idea is it's, it's, it's saying you've put the effort into the, the sport, they've spent the same amount of money, they've mm-hmm. trained just as hard, they've done the done the race 12 times why is that less important than someone who's taken 12 years well my interpretation of the word legacy and of, uh, is that it's something yeah you know, I, I automatically when i think of this i think, do you think it's easier like to do one every 12 years well, so to start with you play by the rules <laughs> and so if you've got to do if you if you meet the rules i've got no problem with anybody going along with this and i'm not going to discredit them and say oh you should be doing this this and this yep. you play by the rules i'm going to try to qualify for code next year is 70.3 i think that's wrong but I'm going to play by the rules. That's and, right. You're uh, such a hypocrite. And, and, so I'm not. I'm not. I'm not taking anything away from the people that, that go there, whether it takes them three years, five years, whatever. You play by the rules, and you go, and that's no problem at all. I'm just saying that when they brought this out, I'm, I automatically it goes into my mind is, is Ted, who 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 went into yeah, Ironman, yeah. does it like ten or twelve times. But he and, did qualify and he never went. I know. I know. <laughs> but those kind of guys have been going for years and years and years, and um, but they chipping but away. everyone gets in. Mm. Everyone gets their chance. So you're, you're comfortable with somebody who's done three totally. years? Totally. Because it's the way, as I see it, you've done, in, any, in some ways, I think it's harder. Mm. Doing four Ironman in a year? Mm. Would you want to do that? No, I wouldn't. You know? And so, like, for me, both both paths, 
show a level of commitment to the sport that's highly impressive and both should be rewarded I mean, and, I, and I don't think one's hurting the other I don't think because I don't think you're going to get that many people who are going to be crazy enough to want to do you know four Ironmans a year there'll be mm. there'll be a niche yeah. Um, but there's a niche that's done 12 over 12 years yeah. and I don't think there's I, to me they're both as impressive as each other and they both deserve you know the reward of Gendaru Kona I don't know if I've been quite swayed here. Everybody's saying, um, I, I don't know what time frame I'd put on it, but I, I kind of think that maybe there should be some sort of time frame, whether that be six years or 10 years or whatever. But, but, um, but, but why? Like, you know, like, let's, you know, I did six years in the sport, I think seven years. Mm-hmm. And I consider myself to be, you know, there's, there was a big part of my life. And I was definitely an Ironman athlete. Not yeah. everyone has twelve years to commit to Ironman. Make twelve years. Yeah, but, yeah, but I, I think it's, I think it's fine. I don't know. I think you're wrong, John. And I think well, you just have to swallow the pill on this one. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. <laughs> and yours will never change. You may not agree with me on this time. I'm almost always right. <laughs> okay, this week's discussion. Um, so this is basically helping helping someone out here. And it could be quite funny. So there's uh, we had oh, an yeah, email. Right. And, and Actually, do you want to try to find the email? Uh, yeah, so it's um, the website is called youknowyouarebooks.com. And they're basically comical sort of books, like you know you're a Richard McKinsey, McChesney, McChesney, McChesney. And so they've done these books, like you know you're a runner, you know when you've uh, you say stupid kind of fun. things like yeah, that. Yeah, so they're wanting to do one. You know you're a triathlete, and then just come up with some sayings. Like and they basically want to use your your intellectual intelligence to write the book. Exactly. <laughs> so let's do it. So check it out. Um, go to just p- p- paste post on our Facebook page and they may use it and you may become famous saying that was my saying and it's made it into the book so basically you know you're a triathlete when and something funny mm-hmm. and then put a comment and uh, yeah all good okay guys John do you want to have an age group of the week yes let's do age group we've got to do this one age, age group, group of the week, week. not too many I haven't got time Ed Hawkins sent through this one and it's slow not, down I know, people won't understand I know, you I know Roy how to say last name uh, I haven't even read this Roy Nasser Nasser yeah I reckon that's probably right um, please, 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 could you do us a huge favour and award my friend Roy Nasser from Dubai as age group of the week? Why Roy hadn't completed an Ironman for a couple of years, instead taking third in his age group in the 2011 World Sprint Championships. He was planning on doing Ironman South Africa in 2014 with the aim of qualifying for Kona in his 50th year. That's pretty cool. He also was the co-founder of the new Tri-Dubai Tri-Club based on the idea that anyone and everyone is welcome and that is almost 800 members joining within the first years of starting. That's big. Really impressive. Uh, this was down to drive Roy himself, witching community. Um, however, this weekend, Roy, my friend, was tragically killed while training. He was hit by a drunk driver from behind. Oh, that's just horrible. Uh, the accident happened on Friday morning and bless him, he he was killed outright at the scene. Fortunately, the other two athletes riding home with him were unhurt physically by the accident. Roy is was the godfather of triathlon in Dubai, the Middle East, and he will be solely missed by everyone who ever met him. From the newbie, he welcomed like old friends to the seasoned athlete here in the UAE, who were greeted with enthusiasm for as a first-timer. Tributes have flooded from all around the globe, from pros like Crowey, Felix at Challenge, Bockel and Cave. The community, local community equally has come together in support of his family. Roy was survived by his wife and two children. He was a family man, an athlete, a role model to all he was, and more importantly, he was our friend and was terribly, so terribly taken from us so early. 
Rest in peace, Roy Swim, Bike, Run to Heaven, my friend. And they've got a website to the local triathlon, trydubai.org, and uh, they've got a tribute page on there as well. Thank you, this is really appreciated. He'll be missed by so many. It's really sad. It is. It's tragic. And, you know, like, Roy is that person in his, you know, in all of it, you know, this small little world of our triathlon world, each of us have these people in our community who are drivers of what we do. And, you know, it sounds like Roy was just, a legend, you know, and you know, eight hundred members in one year—that's mm, un, that's unheard of, isn't it? You especially know? in an environment. I know Tri Dubai's got a lot of Dubai's got a lot of expats and stuff there, but it's um, yeah, it seems pretty massive, you know. And, and you know, just one of those people who is just there's people in this world who just seem to have an energy that attracts people to be better than themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I've never met Roy, but you know, you, you just get the feeling with this guy here is that he had that, mm-hmm. and I'm sure that the success of his club. You know, was a big part of just the driving and the energy he that he gave to it. So, you know, for his family and his friends and his community, we're just you know putting you know our thoughts out there. It's obviously a pretty horrible time for you guys right now. It is. So, uh, if you want to pass on your condolences, if you've happened to have met Roy, you go to trydubai.org and they've got a uh, condolences page there. And they've got a lovely photo of him doing his bike transition. Where he's got he had some pretty big guns too. So, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, all our thoughts go to you guys. Sponsor. com. join. Jombo, tell me about it. Well, I'm just going on here, and uh, as I said last week, they are coming out with a new site in the coming weeks, and it's going to be a new fandangled, have, get rid of things that aren't being used, hype it up with things that are being used, speed it all up, so it's going to be awesome. So make sure everything of yours is updated in time, and it's going to... I wonder if they'll get for a new look. Oh, yeah. I always, like the, I always like the presentation, John. If you want to go and do, they've got around the outside at the moment, the Louisiana Marathon. Oh. When is that? 24th of... Uh, Sign me up. January? Maybe? 19th of January. 19th of January. There you go. You've got time to train. Yeah, I have too. No, so, I haven't. I've got an injury. I can't run until probably January. Oh, well. Sucks. Go do the, maybe I've got a wheelchair option. Okay. <laughs> maybe I should. Um, <laughs> well, I'm, what I'm going to do here, Bevan, I'm going to go to my... I'm going back to... Hawaii 70.3 next year. If anybody wants to come on uh, Epic Camp um, Hawaii, we've got some. We've still got plenty of spaces on there for uh, for next Epic Camp Light. Epic Camp, Epic Camp Light. It's going to be awesome, and you've got to get in early because you've got to do the uh, get in for the 70.3 race. But I want to see an improved performance by me next year, and specifically did pretty well this year, Jumbo. Okay, specifically around the run, I need to be running well to do well in Kona. So I can basically go into Athlinks and I can pull up my result, and then I've got a little recalculate button. So this year I ran 126.56, which on the face of it sounds like a rubbish time, but on that course it actually stacked up pretty well. But next year I want to go better. I think Crowey was three minutes quicker than me, and uh, so I want to run three minutes quicker next year and I okay. want to outsplit him. But where'd you get? Uh, well, that's what it's going to tell me. So now I can just go, I just change it from 123, 56, from 126, 126 to 123, and I can just uh, recalculate that. And it basically takes me up a couple of places and it can give me all my little places. So it be eighth? Eighth, yeah. Um, where's, where's my calculate button there? Whoops, whoops. This is why they need a new website, Bevan, it started moving, or it's this damn Mac of mine. Uh, <laughs> right. Here we go. 123. Yes. Wait, wait for it. Wait for it. I was still in second place in my age group. I only moved up one place. I moved up uh, ninth place. So still, you need, you need 10 minutes. I do. But I, but I, probably, I wasn't swimming very well last year, so if I clip another couple of uh, <laughs> minutes off my swim time. <laughs> this could be a dangerous then, tool. Then I've moved up. This could be a dangerous tool. I've taken out my age group. and uh, Fifth overall? Second overall, I must have stuffed something up there. Take second. I think I. I think you're going to win it. I think so. Look out next year. 
Curry, you're going down. Okay, guys, get onto Athlinks. It's a great website, and look out for the new changes over the next few weeks because it's going to be pretty cool. And um, I want to see if they've got a new look, John. Because there I like you go. Looks. Okay, we've got an interview coming up with uh, two people, John Bo, Joe McQuillan, and Ben McKinnon. So here it comes. We're not even going to tell you about it. Here oh, it comes. we do that in the intro. There we go. Righty ho. Um, we've got a. I think we're going to open another can of worms today, which we quite often do on the show, and we're going to be talking a bit about. Uh, sort of going more down the, the high-fat, low-carb route, and it, it sort of dovetails into we, when we had uh, Bob Sibahar on the show quite a while ago in terms of talking about metabolic efficiency, so it's similar stuff to that, and it's basically because I'm a fat fat, fat man down here and I need to start losing some weight. Seriously. And, um, and so this, and, and I guess where this came up from, um, Rob Dellymore, who's uh, an athlete up Auckland Way and, and coach, and he was uh, posting a whole bunch of things on Facebook, and I saw a little link there onto cyclingtips.com, and one of our guests today, Joe McQuillan, was was writing on this topic there, so I thought, oh, well, we'll get onto that, and then as it turns out, um, the other guy that we've got on today, Bevan McKinnon, crikey, what's going on there, Bevan? I thought well, we too, too many Bevans, that's the problem. I thought we had a little earthquake going on for a second, um, and we've also got Bevan McKinnon, who's an Ironman extraordinaire coach who we've had on the show before. From fitter.com? From fitter.com. Oh, .co, you, dot .nz. Dot co, dot co. So we've got Joe McQuillan, um, who's uh, yeah worked with lots of triathletes, lots of cyclists, so he's got some good practical knowledge, and also Bevan, who's um, out there practicing some of the stuff and can give us some insight. So welcome along to the show, uh, Joe and Bevan. Hi guys, thanks. Um, so Joe, you know, hitting this from a from a science side of things, um, maybe give us a bit of an insight into to I guess what sort of drove you to start thinking about looking at this in a bit more detail, and, and we're talking about you know using fat more as a source um, than than what we've traditionally been told to do, which is carb, 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 and go crazy on the carbs. Yeah, thanks, John. Um, yeah, I guess the initial just to to put it. Um, in some sort of reference uh, for the listeners, the, the initial background to the um, to a, you know term metabolic efficiency and metabolic flexibility um, was uh, from from Bevan um, McKinnon, who had an athlete that he was quite keen to have assessed. Um, we had a look at um, we had a look at this athlete. So based on um, Bevan's uh, reading and, and the help of Mickey uh, Willardin. Um, that had a look at some of Bob Sibahar's work, um, which I think you've had Bob on the show yeah, yeah, previously. Yeah. Um, so we tested this athlete and found that um, she was well. She was actually unable to com- complete um, some of the longer distance races uh, just due to um, well, we, Bevan wasn't 100 percent sure what it was, but um, obviously pacing and um, you know nutrition play a key part in, in longer duration races. So we found that um, even in the early early stages of the test, the athlete used um, about 70% carbohydrate and 30% fat for fuel, um, which is uh, – and that was at very low intensity, so it was below race pace. And at approximate race pace, um, cycling at least, um, she was using about 110 grams of carbohydrate per hour. Mm. So we, um, when we started to graph uh, – her results and a couple of other um, triathletes that we tested at the same time, we saw there was um, just different things going on with with, with the athletes, um, and we couldn't really put it down to um, anything in particular. But perhaps the diet, so a high carbohydrate diet, led to um, the inability to use fat um, as we might 
think we, we should be able to as endurance athletes. Um, and that was, of course, you know, Bob Sieber has covered this and, and a, a number of other authors have covered that. Um, so for, for us, it was, you know, of interest, people had been there before. Um, but we were sort of, um, yeah, following you know, along behind them for a little bit and then getting a bit further in once we started, you know, digging deeper, I guess. And, um, so what sort of happens, you know, when we're out there in a, in a, in a race setting, maybe explain, you know, the, the variabilities of, the, of different people, you know, in terms of, you know, how you, the, you're using your fat stores and, and your carbohydrate stores, you know, is, is there great variability from, from person to person genetically and, or, or is, 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 as you said, is, is a huge amount of it, you know, diet related? Yeah, from a genetic point of view, we haven't looked at that uh, at all. Um, and there are, um, you know, people out there, so Ben Greenfield is, is someone who I've done a bit of reading and following up, and he's talked about, you know, different body types, so ectomorph um, versus mesomorph, yeah. xenomorphs having different um, you know, ability to, to use fat um, differently according to body type. Um, we haven't done anything in terms of that, but we are actively meeting people and um, yeah, we, we're yet to make a, a link. Um, however, uh, it's no doubt that a, a diet that's high in carbohydrate will push people towards um, less uh, less fat um, adaptation. So you become a poorer user of, of the stored fat um, that you have if you ingest carbohydrate uh, on a regular basis. And you know, so, so what you've, you've done a number of um, tests. I know we can have, we've got Bevan sitting next to you who's done some testing as well. Yeah. What, what have you sort of found when you've been doing the testing in terms of um, uh, a lot of people might think, right, well, <clears throat> if I'm doing long, really long course stuff, then then I'm going to be tapping into my fat a little bit a little bit better versus if we're doing short, sharp stuff, then I might be hitting my carbohydrate stores um, a, a lot more. So what have you sort of, sort of found in terms of, um, you know, Bob Sieberhaar sort of talked a, bit, a little bit about, a, I think it was either a sweet spot or, or a, um, a crossover point. You know, um, at what sort of point do you find that athletes um, or, or intensities that that sort of crossover point happens or is that quite variable from person to person? Yeah, that's, that's going to be variable from person to person. Um, and just to explain the test that we use, so this is based on, on Sibaha's, um Fat Max test. So we use a very, very low intensity um, wattage or if we're cycling or, or speed if, if they're running um, to start at. So uh, in terms of um, difficulty, it's a 7 out of 20 on um, what's called a Borg scale. So that's 6 is basically sitting on the couch and 7 is you know one one increment above, uh, above. So it's kind range. of just moving, is it? Yeah, barely moving. So just taking over. Um, and race pace for Ironman might be, say, a, a 11, 12, sort of 13, um, just to give you an idea. So we start off with a, you know, 20 minutes at a, you know, very, very low intensity. Um, just to see what happens with fat and carb over that time. And typically we see that, um, you know, we're told that, you know, you need to warm up for 20 minutes. One of the reasons to do, or, you know, for a certain length of time, one of the reasons is to elevate the amount of fat that's used. But in fact, we see, um, we don't see a big change in fat utilization. So we might be using, um, you know, some people might only use, say, 30% fat um, to uh, exercise contribution um, and 70% carbohydrate. 
And perhaps that doesn't change or it might move by about 5%. Um, but as the exercise intensity gets greater, um, people start to use more and more carbohydrate, obviously. So if we already start off in a carb-dependent state, um, it might only slightly get better. So it may only move to, say, 35% um, fat and 65% carbohydrate. But thereafter, it, um, sort of they really start to spread apart. So for, for instance, a... Um, Someone who's uh, 80 kilograms, um, who's doing, say, a five-hour cycle leg, just to put in terms of calories and, um, and energy utilization, um, they could be expending, you know, say, 20,000 kilojoules or 5,000 calories over that five-hour um, bike leg, which is a, a huge amount of uh, energy. Um, and if they were at a 50-50 you know, fat-carbohydrate ratio, uh, and that would be pretty good at race pace. Um, that's about 135 grams per hour from carbohydrate. Mm -hmm. So if you're thinking about replacing mm -hmm. that um, carbohydrate, um, you know that's that's a lot of carb to take on board. And sure, we start with a um, you know reservoir of um, glycogen and carbohydrate in, in the in the body, but obviously you're not supplementing you know that first hour with the swim, uh, and then you're on the bike um, trying to eat. Um, basically for the run. So, What about, what about uh, absorption in that situation? You know, because, you know, we've had other people on and, and, you know, they're saying that, well, because of gut size, there is only so much absorption we can get with carbohydrate anyway. So do we get to the point where we can't replace that carbohydrate anyway? That's, that's probably where um, this all sort of came about because, um, you know, most sports nutrition um, guidelines at the moment, we, we used to think it was around about uh, an upper limit of around about 60 grams of carbohydrate that you could ingest per hour. But, we, you know, now we're starting to look in the realms of, of up to maybe about 90 grams yeah. per hour if you're getting a mix between fructose and glucose. Yeah. But that's that's the, the issue here that we found with a lot of the people that we tested. You know, if you if even at the upper limit, if you were being able to absorb 90 grams per hour, we were finding that people were, were probably burning three times that amount at very, very low intensities. So, you know, it's it's a simple calculation to make, you know, if you can't replace what you're burning um, and that rate of burning is, is substantially greater than what you're actually consuming, then it just doesn't matter what fitness levels you've got, you're going to run out of petrol and it's generally happening a lot earlier in a race than um, uh, than the finish line. So that's that's where this metabolic efficiency um, became so relevant for us. Um, we're just starting to see with virtually everyone that we test, um, if, we, if they are a, a carb-dependent athlete, um, the, the calculation is pretty simple. Um, you just can't take in as much as you're burning up, and that's the issues that we're facing with the people that we're testing. Mm. So, so I guess one side of this is, is, is to become more efficient. Um, in terms of you know which energy source that you take in, but is there triggers in terms of you know we, we hear you know there's different triggers of, of which cross you over to, to taking um, to, to to tapping into those carbohydrate stores a lot more. So you know some people take a gel you know 20 minutes before the race um, or they they start hitting hitting the the nutrition really early in the bike ride. Is there certain triggers or certain things that automatically sort of switch you away from from using your fat stores to Using your carbohydrate stores. Yeah, in terms of in terms of the gel before the race, is just uh, you know that has a 
you haven't done any exercise and, and suddenly you're putting in you know, 25, 30 grams of sugar into the body. So it's just going to be a, a massive uh, insulin response because of the raised glucose levels. So that um, is probably going to see you on the back foot straight away. So interrupting that uh, ability to utilize fat in a training situation um, isn't ideal if you're looking to enhance um, fat utilization. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, but things like if you're going to take in 90 grams per hour, and there is evidence to say that you know the gut is able to be trained, um, so that's something you need to do in training to take on that sort of um, quantity of carbohydrate, then yeah, you need to be have a, a pretty good nutrition plan and stick to that. The problem is that obviously over the course of you know, say 10 hours, 9, 10, 11 hours, that um, taking in that amount of carbohydrate, you know, over a 10-hour race, that might be, you know, you're looking at probably, um, you know, 900 grams of um, carbohydrate, which is going to probably upset most um, stomachs. Uh, and I know myself when I've done long-distance races, that's been an issue for me is the gastric upset. Um, at some point in time, you've got to make that choice between, uh, just going without any carbohydrate, drinking water because your stomach's you know, got to the point where it's it's really upset. So, that, so from a um, purely lifting the ceiling on your fat adaptation, the um, you know moving to a, a you know times having more fat in your diet um, t- tends to make more sense when you start seeing the numbers, especially over longer distance steadier state races and something like cycling. Um, you know, there's obvious evidence to say that um, you know you need the best of both worlds mm-hmm. because of the variable nature. Um, but in uh, in Ironman, you know, it's such a, a steady state event for for a longer period of time that um, you know you, you can get away with um, you know really training that fat adaptation and still supplementing with carbohydrate, but just being not so needy with with carbohydrate for fuel. Okay, so so can you, and I don't know which one of you wants to answer that, but can you explain to us a bit more about fats? Um, because um, we all know there's different different types of fats, and and often you know with the, we see things like the Atkins diet, and it seemed like when I, I didn't really read into the Atkins diet, but it seemed like people just decide to go out and eat lard and bloody have big <laughs> have a big block of cheese for breakfast, and they were pretty basically if it was fat if, as long as it wasn't carbs, they were allowed to eat it. So, so maybe talk us yeah. through a bit about fats and um, and maybe Bevan from from some practical point of use, you know where you can actually source some fats from rather than going out and eating a table spoon of um, dripping when you're out on your bike? Well, I think the, what people need to understand is, is that, you know, we, we just have this phobia about <coughs> fat, okay? Um, so that comes from a general health perspective as well as a sports performance perspective. But I think a lot of the research is now um, starting to indicate that it's not the fat that is the issue, it's the actual um, fat in the presence of insulin. Insulin is a storage hormone and and every time we eat um, um, insulin secreted into the body, um, if we're eating a lot of carbohydrate and the more refined that carbohydrate is, um, the greater the, the insulin response. And what happens is that if insulin is, is is secreted into the body at the same time that there's fat present, then that's when the issues occur because that's when, as a storage hormone, the fat's then um, stored and it's and our ability to burn it is shut down. And that's just my a, a very lay person's understanding of how this works. 
So if you can actually um, reduce the insulin response, then the scope for consuming fat actually becomes a lot greater. And if I talk about uh, what I did, um, I was lucky enough to have the support of, uh, of our nutritionist, uh, Mickey Willardin, that works with us, um, and also the backing of AUT uh, in terms of the metabolic efficiency testing and so forth. Um, and all I did was just reduce carbohydrate. Um, so I took it down to a very, very low level, and I looked at fats um, as, as basically a, uh, as, you know, um, any type of fat would work for me. So um, if I didn't have carbohydrate sort of upsetting the apple cart, then my body became very, very efficient at, at burning nearly all kinds of fats. So we're talking about uh, what we deem good fats, which um, you could say from avocados, nuts, fishes, olive oils, coconut oils, and so forth. And I also consumed quite a, a substantial amount of, of saturated fats. So there was lots of cheeses, um, fats off meats, and so forth. Um, and I was quite lucky from the perspective that I have uh, what would be classed as a hereditary disposition to high cholesterol. So even though I've been very, very active and very healthy all my life, my cholesterol and lipid profile wasn't the best. Um, but in point of fact, as I went through this particular process and and decided to, to reduce the carbohydrate in my diet, um, upon testing my cholesterol um, levels before New Zealand Ironman, I actually found that I'd actually improved them quite substantially from a period when, when I was much more carbohydrate dependent. Mm. So I'm not actually sure, and if I talk from my perspective, that I would have put a great emphasis on what kind of fat I was getting into my diet. Now that may not apply to absolutely everyone, um, but I'm 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 absolutely convinced that it was in the reduction of carbohydrate that all of a sudden my body actually knew how to deal with this fat and not make it an issue for me. Mm -hmm. And in point of fact, not only did my general health improve from that particular perspective, but also my sports performance because. Um, my ability to, to tap into the fat stores from, from very early on in any exercise session um, became better and better, and that's because carbohydrate wasn't in there, um, again, sort of upsetting uh, the way that I chose to burn my fuels. Mm. So, so, Joe, you know, you, you had a couple of um, articles in, up there on, on cycling tips that I, that I read through. You know, um, is, is what we're talking about here, do you have to be – you know, in terms of going high fat, low carb, do you have to be all in for this to, to, to make it work? Or can you can you sort of just, as Bevan was sort of saying, make um, you know, some subtle changes in terms of reducing your carbohydrate? And Or you mentioned in your second article, you know, if you want to go full in, it was only going to be about, I think, 100 grams of carbohydrate a day, which I think for a lot of people is going to be, I don't know if that's going to be practical or not. So, yeah, I guess my question is, is do you have to be all in or, or can you sort of just take bits and pieces of this and still improve? Your, your fat burning capacity? Yes, a, a great question, uh, John. So with when we first started, we um, so a bunch of us who you know, had, had done a, a bit of background reading and, and done this testing, uh, and the diet that we picked up on was um, was a ketogenic diet. So there's a uh, medical doctor in, in the US, Peter Atia, who we um, followed quite a bit. So his well, the ketogenic diet is, is basically um, eighty percent fat and twenty percent protein, and you get in about fifty grams of carbohydrate from vegetables and things like that, and that's probably at the very extreme of 
you know where you want to be. But it does throw you into um, into what what they call ketosis or, or fat burning um, relatively quickly. Uh, in the middle is is probably paleo. Um, so they um, and at the other end of the spectrum is obviously you know people that are, are carb dependent. Um, so we so sitting in the middle is paleo, and that's probably a much more acceptable um, dietary regime for most people. The the ketogenic diets, um, you know, socially quite hard, so it's very hard to eat. It's very hard to uh, you know stop at the bakery three hours into a ride and um, find, you know, find something. That Give me some butter. Yeah, um, other than uh, you know the sausages or things like that. Um, but there are some positives that come off. Um, just burying yourself into it. So one of them is with the ketogenic diet is the production of what they call ketones. Um, so that's basically a, a fuel derived from um, from fat. And if you can imagine the uh, the brain is making, it's got two options, um, one to stick with uh, relying on carbohydrate for energy. Um, if the switch flicks over, it, it relies on fat um, for energy. So... Uh, a ketogenic diet will sort of um, flip that switch from carb dependency to, to fat utilization. Um, and it takes, well, for some people, it, it takes a matter of days. Uh, for, for others others of us, it, it you know, took um, probably five to eight days, so it took a bit longer. And you have a very hazy period um, for maybe three to five days where your brain's sort of switching over, so it's quite foggy and irritable and things like that and training is you know really crap because you're hitting the wall you know in every second ride and you know things like that so I got pushed home you know for an hour from one of the rides when I was, but I had to, but it was just burying myself you know um, you had to go through that phase to get to the other side so and once you're on the other side i.e. Um, fat adapted um, then it's yeah just it's quite a, a remarkable transition We've also actually had um, quite a number of people because this is a, this is asking for a substantial um, lifestyle change, yeah, and a bit of a seismic it? shift for, for some people, um, and and you know sports performance, albeit we all want to go well, uh, doesn't necessarily it's not the be and all and end all for everyone. However, the majority of people that we tested were poor metabolically in terms of being able to to utilise their fat stores. Um, and some of them just made the simple decision to reduce sugar um, and possibly just to look at the GI scale and and try to, if they were going to continue with some carbohydrate in their diet, just to make it as low GI as possible. And we actually found that that made a, a, a change as well because I think at the end of the day, in the most simplistic form, um, reducing the insulin being secreted into the body um, has a, an impact on improving um, your metabolic efficiency and your ability to, to utilise your fat stores. So some people went, um, you know, LCHF, which we call low-carb, high-fat, and some people just simply um, said, right, it's the end of the of the coffee and donut post-ride um, and the, the less reliance on gels. And they also attempted just a few more fasted sessions. Mm -hmm. So whether they made a, a dietary intervention or whether they just attempted to push that, that envelope a little bit further with a less reliance on sports nutrition or carbohydrate during exercise – 
because we've found that that actually has a, uh, a an impact on improving metabolic efficiency. It doesn't have the as bigger impact as changing your day to day diet. Um, but it does um, any any way that we can reduce the insulin response in the body um, will have um, some sort of bearing on improving your ability to tap into your fat stores. So if, so if I'm listening to this and I'm going, okay, this is, this is perking up my ears and it's something I'm interested in doing, what approach do I want to take um, outside of training and inside of training? Well, it was quite interesting because we, we um, I'm in a really fortunate position here because every time I come up with an idea, I just turn around at Joe and say, let's go up to the lab and test it. Yeah. Um, so say, for example, one of the, uh, the the things that I was really curious about because, I mean, I, I made a, a – Two things that happened to me when I, I did a really um, uh, short, short attempt at New Zealand Ironman this year um, was uh, the moment that I reduced insulin, um, I, I improved my fat burning potential, but the, the knock-on effect from that was was definitely weight management. Um, my ability to get lean um, and drop weight was, was just exponentially better than I'd ever experienced before on a more carbohydrate-rich diet. Quite literally, because even at rest, I started to burn more fat. So my my you know my my basal metabolic uh, preference for fuel actually improved as well. Um, so so that was one thing that actually um, proved to be really beneficial. But the jury for me was was a little bit out on what happened during exercise. So if I was to then start a, a long session and start the carbohydrate intake very early, um, was that gonna was that actually gonna um, affect my ability to tap into my fat stores. And so Joe and I went up to the lab um, last Friday and stuck me on the, the Velotron and we sort of cycled away at 240 watts for a couple of hours and took in some gels um, probably every 20-odd uh, minutes and we put the metabolic um, cart to use and measured uh, what, what fuels I was burning as I went along. Um, and so we actually started to see that that um, really there was no change in my in my ability to tap into my fat stores um, as I took carbohydrate in whilst exercising. Oh, really? So um, that was a really positive for us because it said that the, the the dietary intervention or changes that I actually made to my day to day diet um, had improved my metabolic efficiency. But you can still then um, look to your long simulations. Um, your race-specific work and or your race day nutrition and still look to have that carbohydrate coming in. So I think the biggest the biggest emphasis is, is on making um, day-to-day nutritional changes. Um, some of your longer sessions that you do in your base training phase and so forth, try to attempt them a little bit more fasted. Um, so, and, so just, but, just to back that up, just so when you're saying a fasting session, you're, you're sort of saying uh, no eating before and trying to, to go through the session, no eating. Yeah, well, I mean, you could still have, have, have something to have for breakfast, but remember that if you start very early or like we talked about that scenario with taking in a gel 20 minutes before race start to really top yourself up, Remember that any insulin response you get from um, sports nutrition, and all sports nutrition tends to be very uh, refined sugars, high GI, um, it's about the timing of, of, of taking it as such. Um, I, would, I would suggest to most people that if, if, to test their metabolic efficiency is to try a fasted long ride. Um, see how far they get into it before <laughs> before the things start to turn a little bit pear shaped. That will give you a very basic understanding of where your 
what kind of um, metabolic efficiency you actually currently have. Mm. Um, but I mean, I, I, one of the things that worked really well for me is um, when we first tested me um, prior to even taking on uh, any sort of dietary changes, I, I actually had quite a good metabolic profile. Now, I'd probably achieved that inadvertently through doing a lot of fasted long rides. Um, I remember reading a Torborn Sinbali article about metabolic efficiency and, and his take on whether it was improved through diet or whether it was um, through training. And he felt that he had achieved a better metabolic profile through fasted sessions. So I remember doing a lot of that prior to, to, to looking into metabolic efficiency more. But yeah, look, I mean, I think you can start to improve that point, um, especially on the long rides, um, by trying to stave off the point that you do start to supplement with carbohydrate. Um, and with that, that's going to be independent and, and very much individual. Um, I know something that we've tested that they, they wouldn't last more than an hour before they need to start putting the carbohydrate back in. And so, what, what are you looking for within that long run? Are you looking for a drop in performance or is it, is it the mental? Like, you know, what are you actually looking for for that moment? Yeah, I think, I think everyone who's ever trained long distance <coughs> knows that point where they start to get a bit, um, a bit jittery on um, a lack of, of fuel, um, whether it be uh, how they're feeling upstairs in terms of mood or, you know, just what, what the legs are feeling like. Um, again, um, I think everyone uh, maybe unconsciously on long rides knows when they want to start taking their carbohydrate in and there's probably some some drivers that are that are convincing them of what that point is. Whether they do it through habit or whether they've, they've never really consciously tried to see how far they can go um, before they, they really feel the urge to take in the carbohydrate, I think it's a little bit of trial and error on, on each athlete's part. Joe, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm sitting here wondering why we haven't potentially seen more of this come out. And I, and I know when we talked to um, Paul Larson you know, about the hydration side of things, and, and there's a, an incredibly powerful sports marketing side of things going on there. But you know, wh- why is this? Do you think not more commonplace? You know, Bob Sebahar has done a little bit of it, um, or done you know done a lot of it, but it doesn't get a lot of attention. Um, why Especially not when you see- look at the power of, you know, you look at the paleo within the CrossFit diet, you know, CrossFit world, it's very had a big influence on that that world. Whereas if we look mm. at this kind of thinking within our world, it hasn't really taken off, has it? And and, and you know, the, the research that I've seen in terms of you know Conan performances, we've seen Asuka, you can throw up do stuff there, and, and there's a direct correlation between um, the amount of carbohydrate taken in and, and performance. So so why is it that we're not? necessarily seeing more of this and maybe seeing more of the the professional athletes not doing it um i think part of it you know obviously there are pockets around the world doing this stuff and ais uh you know likes of um john hawley and louis burke um, greek cox have done a lot of work on the carbohydrate research and they've done you know that's over 20 years but they've also done a lot of um you know fat adaptation research as well um i guess from a research point of view, they've looked at uh, very high-intensity, short-term um, endurance performance. Um, we do need, you know, we are dependent on carbohydrate sources. Um, so even in a fasted or even in a trained state, you know, where they've um, had a, you know, by their terms, a, a low-carbohydrate diet, it's it, um, while they've got some changes, they haven't related to performance changes. Mm. Uh, so the athletes haven't been any better. Um, 
which isn't to say that it's not, so if there's no harm, you know, then, you know, it's certainly worth adopting. But in a longer, in a longer race, um, you know, the, when you start to see the numbers, it does start to really make sense. So if you're having to replace 130 grams of carbohydrate per hour for a, you know, middle of the pack sort of age grouper, um, or you have to slow down at, you know, say four or five hours into the race um, because you're running out of carbohydrate, then it does sort of make sense. So I think, um, yeah, there, there is obviously, you know, a big push from the, the supplements industry to, you know, have to use carbohydrates and, and get it from a variety of sources and things like that. Um, yeah, perhaps as we push on, you know, we can do some really good research into uh, into these diets and, you know, get something a bit more established out there. But certainly when you when you start looking into it, there are pockets um, around the world that are, uh, you know, looking at high-fat diet. And there has been a lot of research done, you know, 20 to 30 years ago as well. It sort of just got buried, I guess, underneath all the, uh, all the carbohydrate research. Mm. And the fact that it's also quite, it can be quite a, um, uh, awkward diet to be on. Mm. Uh, and, and as we've seen, you know, the, the perception of fat, um, to eat fat, you know, cause that's quite a big, uh, hurdle for people to get over is the fact that they can eat chicken skins and, cheese, mm. um, <laughs> cheese, <laughs> yeah. you know, a bottle of cream and all, you know all this sort of stuff. So things that we have been told for years, you know, decades that we can't eat because um, because you're going to get fat. Um, you know, you have to get through that, and then you actually find well, you know, you can eat all this fat, and you don't actually get fat, and you actually lose weight. As you know, Joe Friel in one of his blogs noted, you know, the more fat he ate, the more weight he lost, yeah. which is the opposite of what you know tends to happen with long-term carbohydrate ingestion. So also. If you also look at um, Tim Noakes, um, Tim Noakes who wrote The Law of Running mm. um, and who suffered from, I think, type 2 diabetes, yeah. um, has gone LCHF as a result of this. And he's, you know, talking about rewriting sections of The Law of Running because um, his understanding about carbohydrates until he went LCHF is completely different to what it is now. Uh, and he's turned around, I think, his diabetic uh, profile, if, if, if I'm correct. But he's a very, very big um, proponent of LCHF diets. Uh, and and if you think of the fact that two of the names like Tim Noakes and Joe Friel, who are at the forefront of endurance sports and research and, and great commentators on, on the training um, that goes around those, both those two... Uh, advocates of LCHF diets so it's 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 something that's been there but it is something that is it, it is really quite interesting when you have a discussion to people about it I'm quite lucky as I say that I that I entered this with a high cholesterol reading and now I have a, a better cholesterol profile than I've ever had and it wasn't the fat that I removed it was the carbohydrate do you find it more expensive to eat that way Bevan yeah, here comes the cheapest coming yeah, out well, no, because yeah, 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 I looked it, I, it, I, look, I, like, I mean, yeah, definitely, because um, uh, they all, you talk to any nutritionist and they say that the best food is only around the, the, the outside of the supermarket shop. All the inner aisles are stocked with everything that's full of, of carbohydrate and refined sugars. We put sugar into to virtually every processed food um, that, that's, in, that's packaged in those aisles. It is and it isn't, but, you know, 
I understand, Bevan, um, your uh, frugal nature. And, <laughs> but the, the key for me here is that there is a massive health benefit that goes alongside this, irrespective of sports performance. And I know John is is really, um, uh, uh, you know, full um, on with with uh, or virtually a vegetarian slash um, dietary approach. And it's it is a slightly more expensive way to eat, but it's I I don't really put a cost on it. Um, it's I want better health. Um, luckily enough, it leads on to better sports performance. So, so I do want to eat in, in this particular way, and I've continued to eat in, in this vein ever since. And and I experience the benefits on a day to day basis um, outside of just what I get from it in a, in a training sense. So, Joe, in terms of the actual testing, um, I'm actually going in to get a, a test done here in Christchurch um, in a couple of weeks' time. With so, Steve? Yeah, with Steve. It's been on my Okay, my so are you going to send your results up to us for analysing it, Most John? definitely can do that. Most definitely. Okay. Because we've already done that with an athlete so far, and yeah. I don't think Steve... Uh, Joe can, Joe can interpret it as uh, in a slightly um, more user-friendly way for you. Yeah. And, and, and also, I want to see what your metabolic efficiency is like. Well, it's, 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 it's on the input, but I've very much come from the high carbohydrate. You know, it's just what we were told for so long, and I was a pastor and bread guy, and I've been like that for, for a long time. And, um, but I've certainly been, as you said, moving towards a more vegetarian diet. So my, my question is, is um, do, you, do you feel to, to do this successfully, you have to be going, you know, to get the fats and stuff in, you have to be going quite paleo in terms of and, and quite a lot of meat intake and, and a lot of fish intake and stuff. Or you, you know, for the for the vegetarians and guys that don't necessarily want much meat in their diet for you know whatever reason, um, do, is it still relatively achievable? Maybe through dairy products and so on. Yeah, I think everyone's got to find their own um, fit, I guess, with the diet. So whether that be from a I like to talk about the, the um, ketogenic diet, which is, is a really hardcore and quite socially uh, awkward sometimes. Um, you know, especially going out to eat, mm. through to you know a paleo, which is is going to be less uh, less demanding. I um, mean, you have a bit more variety. But we also talk primal because primal includes dairy. So so uh, paleo, when we're trying to define these diets, paleo is really um, no dairy. Mm. Uh, and they refer to primal diet, which is basically a, a dairy slash paleo combination. Mm. And then also, um, obviously, you know, you, there's lots of opportunities. Like I, I uh, coconut um, sources of coconut fat, um, avocados, nuts, and so forth. Those are really simple ways that you can olive oil on salads, um, dressings, and so forth. There's some really easy ways that you could take a vegetarian diet. Um, and make it substantially higher in fat. Avocados, the, the works, it's it's not that difficult to find some sources that you probably are taking in at the moment, John, but mm. you're just not taking enough of them in. Mm, mm. So, 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 Joe, in terms of testing, um, you, know, you guys obviously can do it up at AUT. Is, is it fair, you know, do, do a lot of um, decent universities have the sports science testing capabilities in terms of the metabolic cart? In term, I'm just basically putting it out there for other people around the world. Is there, is there quite a lot of availability for it that you know of? Yeah, most most universities would have a you know, physiology lab if they're you know, sports science or, or you know, health in, generally, in general. Um, and they'd have a metabolic cart, you know, which um, is essentially – you know, measures uh, oxygen utilised and, and carbon dioxide produced. Um, 
So that's, uh, you know, we've tapped into Steve Rickaby in Christchurch um, mm-hmm. at Canterbury University. Um, we've got, you know, obviously one up at AUT uh, Millennium. Um, so, yeah, it's not, um, you know, with the, with the protocols that we have, um, you know, we've sort of sussed this out over the last sort of nine, ten months. I guess, you know, it's, it's a pretty straightforward protocol, easy test to run, mm. um, and, you know, a good one to do, you know, pre and then go on it and, you know, 20 weeks down the track or 10 weeks down the track come back and have your figures updated. Because one thing that will change, obviously, is um, – your race strategy around your nutrition. So, um, you know, to do that follow-up test is is pretty vital as well because that mm. paints a, a completely different picture second time around to what you were um, prior to, you know, becoming more fat adapted. Mm. Um, so, Bevan, maybe give us some some practical advice here from from a coaching point of view in terms of if, if someone wants to, you know, start making these changes and let, let's say for argument's sake they don't want to go super super hardcore in terms of you know that 100 grams a day and, and they're just trying to make some good lifestyle changes what what have you found has worked quite well and maybe what are some of the the warnings out there to, to avoid because i'd imagine you've had a number of people do do races now and, and some things have gone well and some things that haven't gone well oh definitely i think um you've got to either if you're not going to uh go and have a chat to a nutritionist because um, most people I find um, the layperson's understanding of nutrition is is pretty poor. We've heard a lot of, um, you know, old wives' tales. We're fat phobic. We don't really know where the fat sources exist. We're really um, carbohydrate is just lumped into one one big group and we don't really know um, too much about that. So I would really suggest a discussion with a coach that either knows enough about um, nutrition or has um, some resource to, to put you in touch with someone who's sympathetic to this style of, of eating because, again, we've actually um, probably encountered quite a bit of resistance from possibly some some, some dietitians, nutritionists that really um, lump this in with the Atkins diet and the, and the bad press that went with that. So I think that's that's pretty important. Um, as I said before, really, if you'd feel that you've got a, a good handle on it, there's a lot of information out there. Um, we have a nutritionist, as I say, that works under our banner, um, Mickey Willardin, who's a lecturer at AUT as well. Um, she's accessible um, via, via our website to, to, and is very um, on board with, with this approach to eating. Um, but really, it's a, it's about the carbohydrate. It's about trying to reduce the refined sources of carbohydrate from your diet. I think that's that's vitally important and playing around with that a little bit. Um, there are some also some some fairly good uh, websites and apps out there that which let you track um, your level of, of macronutrients that you're getting in, so that you can get a split between um, the fats, proteins, and carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. I think that the test is really, really important. And even if you were to um, uh, source an opportunity to get a metabolic efficiency test, again, it's something that we can help people interpret. Um, You need to find your your initial profile. I think that's that's definitely important. And I think from a coaching perspective, I I just look at um, long-distance triathlon and there's something going wrong within long-distance triathlon um, that I don't believe comes down to a lack of training. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's definitely the fact that, that what we're looking at here in terms of the way that you're able to support that, that exercise is all about 
um, what percentage of carbohydrate and what percentage of fat you're burning at your race intensity. But um, yeah, for me, it's about it's about attempting a few fasted sessions if you're going to try it yourself, and also looking um, more closely at the level of carbohydrate or the the balance between fats, proteins, and carbohydrates that you're actually getting in. Shifting it a little bit more towards a higher fat intake, and probably initially starting with the good fats. Mm-hmm. And if you feel comfortable with that, then not being afraid of some of what we see as as the bad fats, which is the saturated stuff. Mm. Um, and and that's a really good good sort of basic starting point. We've had success with athletes who have just taken it um, as simplistically as that, and then we, we've obviously been able to fine tune it a lot more with people that have, have got tested, and then get a, a program and a nutrition plan that's geared specifically around improving that metabolic efficiency point. So do, do people really cock it up if you go? So, so maybe give us some examples of um, oh, yes. athletes athletes that you've well, not necessarily cocked up, but maybe <clears throat> good examples and bad examples of actually real race situations and what people in, in, under this guidance, how they're actually fueling their day through, say, oh. an Ironman race. I think it would be probably be, I mean, I'm the only person that I can say so far that I know of that's really cocked it up. <laughs> Good work, yeah. And, uh, but I mean, my, this is because it was all um, fairly new to me and it was a lot of trial and error. And so I attempted to do New Zealand Ironman. I mean, I, prior to New Zealand Ironman, I'd done a couple of simulation sessions that were um, in excess of seven hours. Um, and I uh, completed those at, at Ironman um, intensity, both uh, the, pretty much a five-hour bike ride and, and uh, a short, short swim before it and also a run off the bike. Um, and I'd been able to complete those on just over 100 grams of cashew nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, th- so I attempted New Zealand Ironman on the most minimal amount of food that I could possibly um, ingest uh, and probably got to about the six-hour mark, and 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 cramped so badly that um, that that was the end of my race. So, so it taught me that that carbohydrate is still required during race day in some of those simulations. I think I think that the the, the thing that people can get really wrong, which could impact more on their health than their sports performance. Um, is still taking in too much carbohydrate if they do increase their fat intake um, because then we have that situation where they're ingesting fat whilst insulin is present and that's when we start to store fat and and that's the, the real risk here is someone thinking, right, okay, Bevan and Joe have said, eat lots of fat, that's good. Um, I don't know how much carbohydrate I'm eating but uh, I think I've reduced it and if they don't quite get the balance right, I think that's when they're going to start to experience either weight gain or some of the other um, other potential illnesses that go along with with storing too much fat. Mm. So, but from a sports performance perspective, I don't think there's. I mean, you might get the odd session where you bonk. Um, mm. You may you may um, have a transitional phase where you are becoming more fat adapted that you you mistake for a lack of fuel. Um, and that's when your body's trying to make that shift from being carbohydrate dependent to fat dependent. Um, but there's not a lot that can go wrong in the, in the sports performance side of things. Um, but just in and around just general health, I think you've just got to be a bit more careful. Mm. So, Joe, any, anything else you, you know, you'd like to add in, in terms of um, you know, what you've been seeing from the, I guess, the, the lab results or, or anything else that, um, that you'd sort of like to point out? Uh, I guess with um, 
you mentioned you know warnings and things like that before. So one of the things that does happen is you have a because you're taking less carbohydrate, there's a um, a lowering of stored uh, of the water that's stored in your body. So there's something to be aware of that leading into summer, you know, at least here in, in New Zealand, um, you know, you need to be drinking and you will be drinking more often than what you used to. So if you're someone who sweats uh, a lot, um, uh, that you'll need to be taking in more water because, you know, you haven't got that, that same amount of water. So if one gram of carbohydrate is typically, you know, three grams of water stored. So as soon as you drop that um, carbohydrate reserve, uh, then there's going to be less water in the body, you know, straight off. So, mm. obviously, refer, refer back to to uh, Paul Larson's, um, you know, interview as well. Mm. Um, but that's yeah, one thing that I've certainly noticed that you know, drinking more throughout the day, uh, and and obviously more over the course of a ride. Um, so it's just you know, from a warning point of view. Mm. Um, yeah, the other thing is the. You know, things like bacon are great to have because they're, you know, and foods that are, you know, high in protein, high in fat are, are good. Um, but just to watch the intake of protein, I ended up putting on uh, a couple of kilograms when I first went on the diet because of eating too much protein, um, you know, because things like bacon and eggs and things like that are 50-50, you know, most fat protein, but um, they're just having too much, too much protein in my diet. So that's something to, you know, to be, to be wary of anyway. Um, mm. But as we haven't said, you know, to see um, and you, someone who's, you know, supportive and nutritious who's, you know, supportive of this type of diet is, is one of the first stops that you need to make. So, Bevan, any, any parting comments from you? Yeah, well, look, I mean, I, I would say that um, given our experience with Ironman, and I'm sure you'll uh, agree with this, is that, you know, the number of people that, that we see um, fading quite significantly uh, in, in a race, I don't know what the percentages are, but the number of people that actually are able to run the entire marathon in an Ironman is is very, very small. And um, if you canvass that, that field, um, most everyone's done the enough training to be able to run the entire way. So we're sort of, you know, our suspicion is, is strong that um, it's a metabolic issue um, that's causing the fade at the back end of long-distance races. That if you are about to do a, a um, an Ironman and you can source a, a metabolic test, um, then I would thoroughly recommend it. Um, for example, Joe and I um, will be launching a, an opportunity for people doing New Zealand Ironman um, to, to be tested um, and also to, to receive a, a program and a dietary plan in and around that to try and support some improved metabolic efficiency. But um, the test is so simple. Um, if you get it done, you'll be able to determine what you believe is your Ironman heart rate or intensity, um, and you can then get a definitive uh marker as to what percentage of carbohydrate you're burning and fat you're burning at that particular intensity um, and then this calculation is fairly simple you'll know if um, if you're at a point of metabolic efficiency that's going to allow you to go five six seven eight nine ten fifteen hours or whatever it is um, Ironman is such a it's a one one and done each year for most people and it's their A race of the year and if you feel that you really want to um, give yourself the best possible chance of, of maintaining speed for the longest period possible, then I'd, I'd thoroughly recommend that you get a metabolic efficiency test. Cool. So where, where can guys, um, obviously if, if they're in New Zealand, where can they find out um, what you guys are up to? 
Um, so we're both uh, working out of AUT Millennium um, and Myrangi Bay from the Endurance Performance Clinic there, but um, primarily um, for the metabolic stuff in and around um, Ironman or long-distance racing, they can go to um, my website, www.fitter.co.nz, and um, just contact us via that. We will be putting some information up there in the coming weeks about what we're, we hope to do for New Zealand Ironman. Um, but for any overseas listeners, um, we can be contacted um, for further information um, at that website. Well, I'm um, looking forward to kicking your ass at uh, Taupo next year, Bevan. So, uh, <laughs> no. I'm passing you a sausage on the bike <laughs> Sounds good. No, this is an area I'm going to be playing around with a bit over the next 12 months as well. So um, we will see, probably be back in contact with you guys. So, um, yeah, thanks both of you for your time. It's, um, it's certainly a... What do you think? Awesome stuff. Uh, it was actually prompted, uh, part of this was prompted by an email we had in from Greg Gilmore who wanted some tips on uh, what he should be sort of, how he could improve his um, midriff and just try to lose a little bit of weight and stuff. So I thought, oh, we'll get this on and do that. So Greg, that one was for you, Greg Gilmore. Nice work. Uh, awesome stuff. And it's, um, I'd love to, maybe I'll talk a bit more about this next week because we haven't got time today, but next week I'll um, go yeah, into let's, my let's, let's go into a little bit because I would like to give some thoughts as well, but let's go into that. Coffee's off away, John. We've got to keep on flying through. John, I reckon we can finish in seven minutes. I've got to be gone in about three minutes. That's five minutes home. Sorry? I thought you said you had to be home, to be home by 22. Yeah, I don't want to I don't push it. I'm already pushing it. Okay, well. <laughs> uh, so Coffee's off away. Thought I'd quickly mention this week, given we've got the, the sports science guys on there, that caffeine and, and via your coffee is uh, is a scientifically proven way to, to get yourself yeah, uh, going faster. Definitely. So give you give you some idea. Um and you're going to have to be careful with the sugar now based off that conversation we've just had with these guys, uh, is around an effective dose is around about one to three milligrams per kg of body weight. And so let's say, Bevan, you weigh about 95 kgs. Um, so no, <laughs> let's, let's say uh, 80, 80 kgs, uh, maybe even less than that. No, about so, 80. About 80. So 80, grams of, uh, 80 milligrams of coffee, you just need to have yourself one espresso and one standard serve is around about 107 milligrams. So you have yourself one standard serve before you, about an hour before race start and you're away. You need to top that up during the race. Um, but basically what I'm getting at here is, is your, your, your good espresso, like your good coffees of Y espresso or your brewed coffee is significantly more than your crappy instant coffee, yep. which is only 60 milligrams. It's a real hit, doesn't it, John? Yeah. Brood is about 80 milligrams. Espresso is about 107. So yes. So get yourself a little short black and you'll be away laughing. But um, anywhere you do research on this side of stuff, it's, uh, it is a allowed stimulant. Um, take it before the race, top it up during the race in whatever format you want to, and then uh, you're away laughing. You are guaranteed to be going faster. Of course, you've got to practice all this stuff in training, but it's proven that it's going to work for you. Okay, Jumbo. We're going to questions and answers. We'll leave until next week because yes. we can wrap it up now. Yeah, questions and answers. And I told some people I was going to give them some love on the show. You can wait till next week, okay? Mm-hmm. Sorry, but we've got to go. John's going to be in trouble. I don't want to break up the relationship. Yeah, quickly, sponsors are coffeesofwire.com. Yes, athlinks.com. Yes, and extreme endurance. Okay, Jumbo, quick goss. You got 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Finish my pool stuff at the weekend. Well done. Proud of you. More blisters. See, oh man, more. you're everywhere. Everywhere. Hard You've work, got dry man. hands. Yeah, hard work doing my pool. Good day for me doing it, but good weekend. Yeah, yeah. 
got the concrete cutter out there again. Had my labourer, Phil Patterson, back out there again. <laughs> he's the beast of boy, is he? Yeah, he comes around. The kids just go mental inside the house, and we're just down by the pool. And they're so noisy, you can't hear the kids screaming. Oh, so it's it was, sensational. It was all good. It's good being a man. Uh, outside of that, very good week of training and into an easier week this week. So looking forward to that. And um, got a Wahoo kicker. Got myself a Wahoo kicker. What's a Wahoo kicker? I'll, I, again, I'll tell you more about that later. I'm well, pretty no, excited me. about it. It's a bike trainer that you can basically control using your iPhone, and, and it's going to be awesome. You control oh. it. So it's an electronic one. Control I think you talked about this. Is it the one you're getting for the kids? Yeah, and I've got one. And it's, you like it? Have you used it? I'm, I'm going <laughs> We cut out and John made a comment that I can't repeat. <laughs> um, he's got a bike. I, I'm, my book's going to be published. My publishers think my proposal is amazing. Um, oh, you missed that whole part out, did you? No, my book no, story. I told my book story. Okay, I'll tell it again because John's got a couple of minutes and she's only reading something more. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I sent my pro- pro- proposal to five publishers mm-hmm. and normally – when you hear about people, we're saying one in a million. <laughs> no one ever responds back. But how many did you get? Four out of the oh five. Oh, God. And one of them actually said to me. They read your old proposal. <laughs> they said. That's, this isn't that was your biggest best I've ever had. One of the best. They normally don't even read a whole proposal, John. They said mine was one of the best ever. And they're really interested in working with me. And I've. And and it's, I've it's not going to take a year to get to market, well, is it? Does. It apparently takes a year. Yeah, whole John. year. <laughs> So my book will be out, but it's very exciting. And so, um, yeah, I'll let you know more about it as it goes along. Other than that, apologies. The show today may have been a bit stop-start and a bit of fast-forward. Yeah, and, a bit, uh, bit all over a bit the place. Messy and we've got Legends of Triathlon But you know what? Listen to today. Legends. It's great. Yeah. Legendsofthriathlon.com. You want to try a suit? Simon, listen. Get onto it. I'm Russ. I'm Indo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha.